and welcome to another episode of Business Source, brought to you by Connecting Business, the show that gives you authentic conversations to help your business. There's no smoke and mirrors, just real people sharing their experiences. I'm your host, Lee Nightingale, and today I am delighted to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend that is Armand Roux. Armand is sales director at Granka Factoring, and he's also director of rugby at Dorking Rugby Club. Armand, I'm so excited about this one. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Um, morning, Lee. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I've been watching your show. It's great. And uh, yeah, it's great to be on here. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, gosh, I've got so many questions to, to ask you. Um, business, personal, sport, so many things to talk about. I'm so excited, um, as you can probably tell. Um, but before we get into all that, um, do you want to just share a little bit about Granka and how you help clients, what it is you offer? Because um, I think it's really pertinent in, in the market we're in right now. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks, Lee. I mean, yeah, Granka is a German-based company. Just to give you a, a quick quick background sketch. Um, so they've been around since 1979 and started off as a leasing company. And about sort of 20-odd years ago, they decided to dip their toes into, into invoice financing. So that's factoring. Um, and, and that's where we're based. So we've been in the UK for about 17 years now and got about 10 offices across across the UK. So what invoice finance does is it pretty much looks looks after people. We, we buy the invoices of the clients to support their cash flow. So normally people would wait 30 days, 45 days, 60 days to get paid. What we do is at day one of them raising that invoice, we will purchase the invoice from the client. So they got the cash flow back in the business and we will then right. proceed to chase the invoice on the client's behalf. So in a nutshell, the client can focus on his business. He's got the cash flow to invest where he needs to buy more stock um, to sell, etc. And um, we take care of the, the back office functions so to speak, and uh, just sort of looking after their clients' working capital to make sure they've got those cash flow in the business. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. And uh, in, in current times, that's obviously uh, quite important. Uh, absolutely. Um, because when, you know, when we're a small business, um, we're trying, you know, we've got so many different hats on, uh, trying to perform so many different roles within the company, trying to deliver the product or service that, 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 that we're offering. Um, that we don't always get the time to do the the back end stuff, the chasing. You know, we, you know, we send the invoices out, but then we're on to the next job. You know, we we just hope that the customer pays, right? And um, uh, that thirty days can be quite harmful, uh, especially then if that goes over thirty days. Um, you know, we're it's going to have a detrimental impact on on cash flow, as you, as you say, but then on my time, because then I've got to stop doing what I'm doing and selling more of what I'm selling to then chase those people that I thought was all okay and, and that I'd sold to already and sent the invoice to. So it sounds like you um, take a lot of the pressure off, a lot of the weight of uh, of that that finance side of things, that, that worrying concern about getting paid because you've effectively guaranteed that that revenue by paying that invoice straight away day one once it's been sent right yeah no, no definitely i think it's, to add to that sort of challenge i suppose um, that you just mentioned a lot of a lot of small companies aren't aware that they need to take out some bad debt protection you know get an insurance policy in case your clients don't pay you so um, it compounds the problem at the moment where there are some some people just asking for goods and services to be delivered and don't necessarily have the capital to pay for those so um, what we try and do is we try and advise the clients to put them in the best position possible with an invoice finance facility so 
um, we call it a working capital solution. So they've got that capital coming back into the business, but also to make sure there's an insurance in place uh, for both parties, for us and the client. So should that debtor not 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 pay their invoice, um, at least they're covered um, in some shape or form. So. Uh, yeah, that, that we're trying to take that stress away for the clients. I mean, the biggest the, the biggest constraint is obviously time as a business owner, SME. Normally, you want to do everything because you think you can do everything the best of your ability and struggle to trust other people to do your job or necessarily don't have the, the cash to invest in someone to come and do your accounts or uh, chasing up invoices for you. So um, the solution is, is pretty much focused to, to help those clients save that bit of time and have a bit more of peace of mind. You know, if you've got that, that yeah. insurance, you, you, you've got the peace of mind. So, yeah, no, it's... Um, in current climate, um, just make people sleep quite nicely and ensure that the, the money come back in. Yeah, yeah, I imagine because, uh, you know, there's, there's businesses that, you know, let, let's be honest, some, some businesses have done really well and it's grown massively dur during this lockdown period because of whatever product or service, particularly products, I suppose, that they're selling. Uh, people have wanted more of uh, because they've got more time. So lots of uh, stuff going on that you want to do at home, hobbies, sports, whatever. You know, I couldn't buy a driving range net for for months. You know, after when because they'd all sold out. So clearly, there's there was a massive spike in demand, and along with the spike in demand goes a massive spike in demand for your time and effort and and shipping and and, and manufacturing and building stuff and um, you know the whole supply chain the back end side of things sometimes gets a little bit o overlooked so it sounds sounds like you've got a fantastic uh offering of, uh and a way of sort of relieving that stress and pressure there um so speaking of uh, grenka then um how has that business been affected by by this pandemic what what, what was sort of life like before what's it like like now for the for the business i guess in inevitably i mean we we look after uh, the cash flow for a lot of companies and we sort of seen as a bit of a lifeline for a lot of businesses. So le leading up to the pandemic and we were obviously quite well situated because half of Grenka we do we do the leasing of products and the other half we do invoice finance. So um, a lot of clients are, are leasing printers and office equipment and a lot of clients are getting us to look after their data books. So inevitably the pandemic threw up a lot of challenges for our clients as well. and. Um, so those clients who were in the buying cycle or in the pipeline, they decided to pull the handbrake up for a few months to see uh, exactly what's going to happen first. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, those challenges were quite paramount for all of us, and and not only not only that on on the pipeline side, you also have your clients who's been conducting work and raising invoices that we are purchasing. So, uh, with within with lockdown 1.0, before we get to 2.0, with lockdown 1.0, um, a lot of clients stopped stopped delivering any services or doing those goods. So therefore, invoices stopped getting raised, and we get stopped presenting invoices. But as you mm -hmm. as you rightfully mentioned, um, they work some of our clients in certain sectors and industries that that absolutely thrived. And you can imagine that uh, healthcare recruitment is through the roof. Um, yeah. uh, construction was actually kept pushing ahead which was quite great to see security services were also pushing forward but inevitably a lot of our clients saw challenges and i'm sure you can probably relate to that with with, with your own client base you know i mean you you, yeah. you feel your you, you feel your clients pain and you want to help them but inevitably we just got to wave the storm um have you have you had any similar challenges with your clients yeah for, for sure um you know we've had instances where you know we've had long relationships with with clients and They've either had to sort of take payment holidays um, or reduce the reduce down the service. Um, 
but it, but it's a tough one because they still need the full blown service that that we're offering, but cash flow is is a significant uh, issue right now. So, you know, we, we've tried to do what we can to help. Um, ultimately, we don't sell a product, so there's no physical thing to ship. There's no, I don't buy anything in and and, and manufacture anything and, and send it on. Um, it's a time and brain and experience and skills uh, based business. So we've probably got more scope to be flexible when it when it comes to that, that kind of thing. But ultimately, we still have our own cash flow um, uh, things to 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 worry about. And you know, my my suppliers and and partners um and, and team so you know i have to keep all that going um, so we've tried to find a balance where we can i think the key thing is is to keep communication open and and have that dialogue with with the clients um i'm very fortunate to have very close relationships with uh with pretty much all, all of my clients where we can have very open honest conversations about the situation so that uh, so that things don't sort of escalate and snowball into something ugly if you like um you know we address it right at the very beginning okay right uh, this situation has now presented itself what does that look like for you you know what what are your thoughts what are your plans um help me understand where i can i can help you you know if there's things that you need to things that i can do to help you that are going to put you in a better position um then i'm just going to do it you know i'll do whatever i can to to help um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, we've definitely seen seen an impact, uh, but again, just to re uh, confirm, it's about that dialogue, that communication between between oh, you. That is that is so key, and I'm so pleased you said that. You know, supply chains are probably the ones that fix it the most at the moment because, um, and the fact that there's businesses out there who doesn't have that open dialogue with their supply chain, it's about managing expectation both ways. Um, and I think it, it could be seen as a bit detrimental in, in some cases for, for those relationships because if there's no honest conversations about it, then let's talk about the problem and let's find find the relative solution. And I think that's that, that's really key. So yeah, it's um, it's it's quite important for people to be open about those problems so we can try and solve it for them. Yeah, things like what you mentioned earlier about people ordering stuff, knowing they don't have the cash to pay for it. Yeah. You know, they they and I. It's difficult to, I don't want to judge people, they're doing whatever they can to get by, I understand. But people aren't going to forget, you know, when we come out of this thing and we go back to some sort of normality, there'll be a normal, it'll just be slightly different. Um, but people won't forget how they were treated during during this period. Um, you know, if, you, if you're able to have that relationship with a client where, where the client feels com comfortable enough to say, look, Armand, I need to place this order with you, um I, can we can we adjust the the payment terms to 60 days just for this one order because i'm struggling cash flow wise if you look at our history together we've always paid on time you know, we've always resolved issues together you know i've always kept an open dialogue with you i'm sure you know you would do whatever you can you know, to go out of your way to to support that client but to to just have somebody order something and then doesn't pay after 30 days and then you're constantly chasing and then they're not, not answering phones and emails and stuff uh, that's what's going to sort of cause a lot of stress for the person who supplied those products uh, and it's going to put a strain on the relationship going forward.
Yeah, no, I agree, and I think um, we've got a, a collections team that sort of take care of all take care of all the debtors for our clients, and mm-hmm. um, the best conversations they can have is just to say, um, I'll pay you next week Friday, and then therefore no more actions taken next week Friday. We know we're expecting payment, so there's a mm-hmm. clear expectation set by the client, and just that clear communication that you have with with that debtor is is important. And uh, but inevitably people will lie to try and get you off the case to not be called or get chased for money, but yeah. that's just the way it works. But um, but as you say, that's where the trust the trust goes, and there's there's a lot is to be said about trust. You know, um, it's, you can be quite emotional about that trust reaction, but there's different ways you can think about trust. And it's people delivering service on time and going above and beyond. And so, yeah, um, yeah it's quite important. Yeah, and, and that's what I say. I think when we when we come out of this, I think right now people are doing just what whatever it takes to to keep themselves going. Yeah. But once things go back to that that normal they I think are going to take a, a look at their whole sort of supply chain partners and clients mm. and say do I really want to be continuing to do business with 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 them given what happened um, so you know I, I'm not saying that's what I'm I'm doing but I'm sure that there, there, there'll certainly be situations like, like that but, um... oh, it's, it's the same thing, um, I suppose, even even before the current pandemics, if you maybe t- rewind two years, it's the same thing. You know, if you, if you can't pay, if you can't pay for the goods you're, you're ordering or you're not delivering on a service that you promised someone, then no one's going to do business with you. So I guess it's, it's just setting that clear expectation. You either you either um, you over deliver or you just deliver what's expected or you or you can't. And I guess n- none of us want to be seen as that company who doesn't really support them when it's really needed, especially now. Um, so, yeah, that, that support element and account management and and, and just constantly being there for someone and, and having open dialogue is is, is really important. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, fingers fingers crossed. Um, none of our clients put some some barriers up like that for any of us. So that's what we've got to hope for. Arman, <laughs> um, 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 there's so much to you. Um, the, the the man, the family man, the, the rugby guy, the the career guy. Um, can you maybe just give us an insight into into more about yourself and, and your sort of background, um, how you ended up doing what you're doing in, in a commercial world, but really keen to dig into that that rugby background as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. So how much time have you got? I mean, I won't go on, I won't go on too long, Lee. I mean, it's, um, obviously, um, uh, originally from Cape Town, coming, coming over to the UK and um, played a high standard of rugby in Cape Town. And came over here to play a bit of rugby, and eventually fell into the uh, records management world. So, in Cape Town, I was believe it or not, I was in, in in car sales to start off with, and this is like 20 20 odd years ago. So, I've always been in sales as an 18 year old. Started in sales and um, worked my way up, and was in the records management for almost a decade of that time. And before got an opportunity to to, to go into the financial services sector. And um, sales are sales at the end of the day, but I think there's a different type of sales um, when it comes to Looking, looking after people's uh, financial belongings, especially businesses, it's mm-hmm. livelihoods of of, of of a lot of um, these these 100%. companies and their their associated families. So, being the person I am and the sales tactic I've always have is is, is a consultative way. It was a perfect fit for, for Grinker at the time. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been a great journey to sort of implement everything that I have learned in my sporting background and being within that um, culturing environment where we, we, we try and support um, all the players that's that's around us, the coaches that surround us, the uh, medical team, the conditioning, etc. Try and support them and develop at the same time. And you do exactly the same with, with your staff um, wherever you go. So 
being in the position I am now, it's, it's trying to support them. It's like if, if someone gives you a team of, of, of um, A-star sales guys to go onto the road, you know, those those teams inevitably um, could have a bad dynamic, you know. So it's the same as as a, as a rugby team or sports team. Right. You've got to have the right dynamic, and you've got to you've got to face those challenges together and being being throw off off your path and off your track a bit to come back and find a way, and therefore you become a better team. Um, and that's what I love about about sales and managing teams because it's trying to identify where you can help specific individuals and the team as a whole. And inevitably, you'll strengthen that team and those and those individuals will develop as well. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. A bit more, a bit more of 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 that background, I suppose, and that's that's probably why I love being in the, in this environment where I am now. Yeah, uh, something's immediately popping up into my head about these A star things. If you think about the Premier League and all these prima donna footballers coming into the top teams, thinking they are uh, God's gift and and the next Ronaldo or Messi. Uh, and you find that they come in with this, this attitude of me, 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 and it doesn't work. Um, they don't thrive. They don't do very well. They end up sitting games out, getting sidelined, being miserable. The fans can see it on, on their face that they're just not bothered. Um, uh, and yet you think, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? You, you're, you're like one of the best players in the world coming into, I mean, look at Manchester United, for example, you know, they, they're not short of cash, if you like, and they've bought, they buy all these wonderful players and they're struggling because there's obviously something going on with the dynamic. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree. And um, I think it's, it's quite important for people to, or for teams to fail together and, and to try and find the solution. And, but you also got to look at what's the attitude they got within the team when they fail. And are they are they blaming someone or are they looking at themselves and trying to find better, uh, different ways to go and make it better? And if if don't start me on the football rugby debate, but I suppose when you look at um, when you look at those stars, um, it's never them because they're good and they're getting getting the pay packet. So therefore, it must be someone else's fault rather than they got to look where they fit into the dynamic yeah. a bit yeah. better. And I think that, that's quite important. But I mean, there's a lot that we can draw, I suppose, from 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 sport into business anyway, I suppose. And that that teamwork applies all the way through. I'm sure you're with your golfing background, etc. You know, being the caddying for you've caddied and playing where you've played. I suppose you know. Have you drawn any sort of any sort of uh, so I say similarities between business and sport. Uh, uh, yeah, for, for sure. And before I get onto the golf thing again, how much time have we got? But uh, <laughs> um, the uh, going to the football rugby debate, uh, I can honestly, and I mean hand on heart, this is gospel truth, viewers and listeners. Armand Roux is solely responsible for me getting into rugby. Yeah. <laughs> um, I fell out of love with football more than 10 years ago when it just became people rolling around on the floor pretending they'd broken a leg when they'd just been slightly shoulder barged and all this kind of stuff and diving to get penalties and all that kind of stuff that for me was a light switch moment off um that is not for me and so uh, you know i'd always been a golfer and I really enjoyed that and i took up tennis a couple of years ago um and i had never watched a full 80 minute match of rugby didn't really understand the rules. I kind of knew the basic principles, um, but uh, had never been to a match. And then you and I had met through uh, through a golf networking uh, environment. So there's there's the connection back there, and played, established a relationship, and we played a few times, and and we sort of got chatting uh, about business. Um, and 
you opened open my eyes to to the sort of grassroots level rugby um and i'd grown up with grass level grassroots level football with my my dad my dad was a a, a local town footballer um and involved with the club after so that whole grassroots level with no stands and all the rest of it that that's what i grew, grew up with but a whole family atmosphere and i remember um you invited me down to dorking uh, uh for my first match and the the atmosphere was uh, fantastic uh the, the atmosphere between the two sets of fans was like nothing i'd really experienced before because they were all mingled together they were all on the sidelines drinking um and yet there was this wonderful camaraderie yet respect and i remember this one guy who clearly had too many shandies shouted something at the referee and about 25 or 30 people all turned around to this to this one person and said excuse me that's not how we do things here and i i was blown away that um not only was it sort of not just swept under the carpet the whole sort of community turned around and said no that's not acceptable and mm -hmm. that really that was the, the biggest hook into my mouth that got me into it. i thought wow this is the kind of environment that not only do i want to be involved in but i want my children to be involved in. and that's why i brought my our mm -hmm. baby me i think she came down yeah. uh, in december last year when she was only sort of four months old um uh, because that's the kind of uh, spirit and an environment that that i want her to be in and similarly with 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 golf um you don't see golf with rolling around on the floor uh, when they do a bad shot and uh, throwing throwing tantrums or you see the odd tantrum you know the odd club club throw or club snap but there's very very few people that that do that uh, but overall it's a um, I don't. Know, I don't even want to use the word gentleman sport. It's. It, it's just the etiquette of the of the sport is is just such a fantastic thing for for kids to to grow up with because it does teach you respect. Um, you know, you have to carry yourself in a certain way. I really do wish that they would relax all these dress codes and some of the stupid hundred, two hundred, three hundred year old rules in golf clubs. Um, but don't get me started on that. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think golf, both golf and rugby, can teach kids a lot of things. And would I be right in saying that down at Dorking on the big field um, uh, during last, you know, we'll take you back to last year, you, you have over like 600 kids training on a weekend. Yeah, that's right. And um, we've got six, just over 600 registered uh, children at the moment. So every every Sunday morning. What, what sort of age ranges are there? So they start at under five and they go all the way to under 18. So we've got a list through this morning, actually. I got an email quite, quite early on this morning about what levels we're at now. And we, our levels have increased, believe it or not. More and more people are joining still in the current climate, which is really um, phenomenal if you think about it, because people are probably looking to find that outlet to go and do something as a family outside where it's safe. Um, and even in lockdown, after between the two lockdowns, shall we say, we when we return to rugby a little bit, um, we still had 600 kids down, but we had to stagger the times they are down just to ease the congestion for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So have a morning, a mid-morning and an afternoon slot for that. So it's great to have it. But um, there's the first time I've heard that story from you, Lee, about um, telling telling the guy not to um, shout at the ref. <laughs> and I guess that's the that's, that's quite an interesting one because uh, respect is the foundation. A lot of things in, 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 in rugby is built on. And the same with golf. You know, you don't talk when someone's on the backswing and you don't mm -hmm. talk when someone's standing over the tee to kick the ball to the posts. So I think respect is huge. And that's why it's obviously one of the core values for the RFU and, and for us as a club. So 
uh, great to hear it is taking place because after a few beers, suddenly, suddenly people might say something they shouldn't be saying. But uh, yeah, I, I'm pleased. And then, but as you say, if you bring your children down there, you don't want to go in an environment where um, people are, are shouting at people for the sake of it and, and being disrespectful because inevitably your child will pick up those habits and feel it's mm -hmm. okay for you to do so. So um, well, I, mean, quite you, I just cannot for the life of me imagine taking my child to a football match the the abuse the the the, the swearing the the language that goes on in the stands and if fine you know if, if that's the way you want to do it great um, you know but the 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 disrespect between the fans and the players the fans and the referee the players and the referee that's what really gets me between the players and the re and the referee for me um, I'm interested to get your your views on this. Um, it it would be stopped immediately if you mic the referee up, and the reason in football, like they do in rugby, because um, the people who stream live sport would say, uh, yeah, we can't stream it live because of the the language and the abuse that goes on, and then all of a sudden now you're affecting all the in-play betting and, and and all that kind of stuff, um, and so the only other solution is to stop the abuse stop the swearing you just basically say to the to, to the players um look at the impact that you're having uh you know we we're going to mic the referee up that's it no more abuse no more swearing because if you do um you're off red card straight away or or sin bin whatever you want to call it massive fines i know they get paid um low, huge money or even uh game bands you know I, I, i'd want to see game bands because that hurts them as a player mm. uh, whether where they should not get paid if they get banned and it hurts the team and then if it, anything that's hurting the team now your playing partners are like whoa hang on a minute and the fans are like whoa hang on a minute <laughs> um so it's just beyond me why they don't do that Armand, like they do in rugby. Yeah. Yeah, they one hundred percent. I believe they should do it. I mean, they should just step up and 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 make that a president. Because I mean, you look at all the wonderful things some footballers are doing, and you look at these meal vouchers um, for, for children. Yeah. You know, it's very admirable. You know, standing up and doing that. But then probably teammates of that same player on a Saturday would shout abuse at a referee. And what example is that setting for that same player, the kid they just gave a meal voucher for? So yeah. what is that going to, so they go into a working environment in five, six years time when they're 18 years old and they feel they can be disrespectful when there's a sense of authority around them in an office who's trying to help him do the right thing and develop him to make a career, uh, a success in a career at some stage. So I 100% believe it's it's something that needs to be addressed, if I'm honest with you, and um, just, mm -hmm. just put a mic on them and say, players, if, if you're doing that, you're off and maybe just penalize them as well. They got enough money to be penalized but again again another debate on, on how they're how wealthy and how they're being remunerated but um that, that's that's how it goes but would you agree also that just like in in business it comes down to the the leadership uh, and and what they deem to be acceptable and how they want their team to be or in, in in business terms you know you wouldn't be expecting your your staff to be swearing at people down the phone just because they didn't buy something or there was a a, a tricky situation so you know, it, it has to come from the top within each club right the the, the coaches the owners um you know sitting in that dressing room saying right i know th let's draw a line under what what's happened yeah. past is the past but we need to move forward and the way we're moving forward is this this is how we're going to carry ourselves. I think I think it is savable with with football, but for for some reason nobody wants to. Um, and it's at this junction I want to introduce my. Uh, it's not a book, 
Um, it's a docu docu series, I think they call it now. So a documentary with multiple episodes. It's called the Playbook: A Coach's Rules for Life. Okay. It's on on a popular streaming service uh, beginning with N. Um, so uh, other streaming services are available. But it, it was such a fantastic insight into how these. I'm not even going to say celebrity coaches. I'm talking about successful coaches, people that have uh, just the right ethos. Um, talking about um, Jose Mourinho, uh, talking about um, uh, Serena Williams as tennis coach. He his was a fantastic one. Um, my wife bought bought his book. Um, the way he communicated. Do you know what you just so you. You know when you're watching a TV show and you just say nothing and you watch the whole thing, you get to the end and you're like, wow, this guy is brilliant. Um, so I would highly recommend, uh, highly recommend that one. So I think you've got a big responsibility as a, uh, uh, as a, as a coach, Armand. Yeah, no, I think it's quite important, isn't it? You know, you have to, um, you have to set a good example for for those around you and and and, and try and drive and inspire in in the right way, um, as you say. Um, your your team is a direct reflection of, of of what you're being told to do and how you do it and the mentality you have in doing so and you see it at um, premiership level in the rugby certain teams are quite abrasive in their approach and certain teams have got a lot of flair about it and that comes straight from the top because that's that's mm -hmm. not only a style they want to play but also it's habits they want to install within those players and the same comes down to attitude so uh, 100% yeah no no I'll definitely check that out the playbook looks it sounds good yeah, I think I've mentioned it on a couple of these things, but uh, the Last Dance, uh, which is about Michael Jordan and and his career and where he came from and how he uh, carried himself and where you know the road to becoming such a huge phenomenon. Uh, that's the only word. I mean, the guys, the things he did was just incredible. You know, his work ethics. Um, the way he carried himself, uh, the way he supported his team, the way he motivated them uh, yeah. is, is another f fantastic one and uh, very, very inspiring. And it it does transcend sport. It goes into you as it, it's it, I'm not even saying it's on a business level. I'm saying it's on a human level. You know, it Correct. makes you stop and think about the way you're carrying yourself, the way you talk to others. Um, the relationship you have with others. Um, so, yeah, th those are two very powerful. But the last, last dance is phenomenal. I've watched that. And I think from what I took away from that is just his work ethic um, mm -hmm. and the desire to be better and analyzing a position and analyzing himself, analyzing his, his, his own teammates. And you surround yourself by someone who's got that mindset. Inevitably, it will rub off. It has to rub yeah. off. It's impossible for it not to rub off. So yeah. I think as an individual, um, taking something away from that is to always try and inspire those around you to be to be better. And if you've got a goal that you want to set, let's, let's all try and work towards that goal together. So no, it, 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 that's great as well. I, I did enjoy that. That was that was my first lockdown this watch. I enjoyed that. <laughs> even even the Dennis Rodman part of it, you know, where he's just this. I don't want to say crazy guy. He's different. <laughs> he was yeah. very different to to the other players in the team. But uh, Jordan recognised what he brought to the team on that court. So yeah. within reason, he was prepared to let him do whatever he wanted outside of the court. Yeah, and yeah. the guy was partying and drinking and drugs and going off to Vegas, saying I'll be back in 24 hours, and then three days later coming back smashed. Yeah, um, all, all that kind of stuff. 
but even he had this ability to flip a switch when it came to game time. Mm. Um, yeah, but, but it comes down to it. Also, comes down to the management, you know, and the, the ability to understand your 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 the people around you, and 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 that that sort of going towards his goal with you. They knew he needed that, and yeah. I think that that's clear. You know, they didn't try and tell him you have to be like Michael. You have to you have to yeah. train like Michael. You've got to be there the whole time because they knew that that wasn't his triggers. And I think under uh, understanding and working with the people you've got, it's just it's just as important. It shows clearly in that. So. Yeah, he, it was interesting to watch and the level he played at doing the things he did, you know, imagine what he could have been if he applied himself differently, but then would he have, would he have made it? Because I, I don't know, but um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it was great. It was great. So so thinking, you know, given the experience you have within the uh, the sporting side of things in, in business and, and with your staff, do you think this has given you a greater sense of being able to relate, nurture, coach, listen even to to each individual at, at a human level oh 100 i mean it's it's we won't i don't think any successful business will be where they are if they don't uh, work with their staff listen to their staff support their staff i think that that is that is absolutely crucial and it's in a sporting environment as well as you identify the five things they've done really well and so don't don't stop that but let's identify one thing we think we want to go and improve on everyone finds that one thing and as a team collectively um you just all improve together so i think it's it's really mm. important and i think as a also you you look a bit beyond that you know people's got if you buy into people's personal lives understanding what's their personal objective oh, i want to i want to buy a house i want to buy a car i want to start a family i want to get married if you understand those goals you can better relate how you put your strategy together to to support those to get mm. To finally get to those goals so it's a bit of more of a personable level and i, I believe it goes through um it goes through business and, and into sport you know so it's um yeah it's, it's quite an holistic way of looking at it but it's, it's so important it, it's so important to understand the people you work with yeah i think you know there's always been uh, a bit of a disconnect between sort of senior management or management and and their employees for fear of getting too close and then oh you know what happens if i have to fire them and you know become friends with them we're not saying that you have to become best buddies and go drinking with them right we're saying right. connect with them on a human level to understand them um what their drivers are what their goals are what their needs are what their situation is um and how you can help them better themselves, better their career, get the get to the goals that, that they're looking for. That's very different from becoming their best buddy, right? Yeah, no, of course. I think uh, it's it's so important. A lot of people feel that, let's say, I don't know, you're a sales director and you've got a sales team. Um, the sales team fails. Yeah, the team isn't good enough, but you're, it's it's your team at the end of the day. So it's, it, it reflects back on you. And the same happens with account managers. You know, if, if they've got a, a consultants managing a lot of accounts, the account manager's got to take ownership of, of those accounts and, and, and ensure because if they fail, it's mm -hmm. a reflection of them. So building, building that sort of relationship with them, and, and I would definitely say, doing some goal setting with them because as soon as they they feel they've got input into setting those goals of what we want to achieve month year two years five years and then immediately it will make them try and strive for those goals themselves so i mean we've, we've read it a million times in, in so many books and places you know so people feel more vested if they feel they participate in in that goal setting and and, and, and structuring how we're going to reach that goal so um, if there's one thing, I would definitely say involve your staff. Um, it, it's a team effort. Um, if the team fails, you fail wherever you are. So um, it's important to invest that time into them. Yeah, uh, and I actually spoke about goal setting 
in one of my earlier podcasts in, in a book by Peter Jones and about that goal setting uh, and the steps to get there, uh, working back from what the end goal is, breaking it down um, and then having a checklist along the way within each of the different stages of getting towards that goal so that you can uh, give yourself confidence that you're, you know, you're progressing, you're going in the right direction, you're ticking off all the different things you need to do going forward. And then if you get to a point where something fails, it's not, oh my goodness, the whole world's come to an end, this whole thing is is failing, because you've got this whole history of success. Yeah. So you're able to pinpoint that point of, uh, of, of failure, assess it, understand it, learn from it, fix it, uh, and then go forward from there. You don't have to redo the whole thing just because something failed here. But if you don't keep a track of all of that stuff, it becomes very overwhelming and all of a sudden you've gone down a path and then it fails and then you get, you feel deflated, you feel like, oh my goodness, I'm a failure. Uh, and and then you, you you may perhaps just stop doing it and you don't, don't try again yeah. um, because it looks like it's too hard. Whereas if you're able to look back and say, no, I did all these things well, um, uh, let me rewind it back to that point where it was going well and what steps did I take that made it then fail or what circumstances or situations presented themselves because it's not all about us it's outside influence um, so. you know I, I agree and it comes back to setting those smart goals isn't it it's got to be realistic um, because people people will sit there and they say they want to do x y and we see it's a lot you know small businesses come to us and they present us with a business plan and all of them are going to take over the world in the next two years and make a hundred billion pounds and you know it's like you just gotta you just gotta rein it back and have small manageable chunks make them all realistic and try and hit them and as you say inevitably you'll fail on one of those you've got to then review adapt and move forward you know, and start trying to see if you can do it a little bit better but if you didn't do that in small manageable chunks you won't know exactly to what which point you you got up to and then sometimes people fall back even further and then they change the yeah. goal overall completely so yeah, I can say we can talk about goal setting a lot. You know, I think it's um, it's quite important. There's that book as well, isn't it? Um, Five dysfunctions of a team, uh, where you, as I said, involving your staff to to to, to set those goals. But yeah. you need to have that that, that trust, um, and you need to have that healthy conflict when you do set these goals. So when you walk out the room everyone buys into those goals because they've invested into it. We've just had a nice hour meeting about exactly why I think this should work. You tell me why you think it should work. We decided together on the right solution. Now both of us or the whole team yeah. will go away and try and hit it. And that wouldn't happen with, without that sort of healthy conflict. Uh, absolutely, I really agree. And I'd really love for you to share the, um, I don't know if it was uh, insight, experience, reading or conversation you had with someone talking about people that, um, striving for A plus moments. We had a conversation about oh, that. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh gosh, he's going to shoot me now. Um, we we had a psychologist from from a cricket club that, that came down to the rugby club, and uh, pretty much we were we were talking about performance, uh, especially looking at a, a team performance. You know, how how can we get to a level where we're comfortable and doing doing the basics well? Um, so. We spoke about a what is an A plus moment, what is an A moment, what is a B plus moment, what is a B moment. So we started having a good big discussion about sort of what are these magic moments, and and a lot of teams are training for magic moments the whole time. And you look at these fancy offloads, and um, you look at all all these like flash stuff that's happening. And um, he quite rightfully said to us, you know, just 
just do B plus. If you do B plus um, the whole time, those A plus moments will come. Those magic will come. A lot of teams approach games um, in a specific way. A lot of sales teams um, approach business in a certain way. They only want to hunt the large big contracts, but they forget to do the basics well, the, the, the communications, the follow-ups, the documentation, uh, be professional, be presentable, be on time, all the basic stuff. You've got all that stuff well, and then those big yeah. contracts will eventually be a happy consequence. So it was a phenomenal mindset, really, to 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 provide to the players and, and listening to him. And um, I think that's something that will stick for me with me forever. Because in a, in a sporting environment, you, your your first touch on the ball has to be spot on. You've got to catch the ball. You've got to be able to catch and pass a rugby ball and make your tackles, do the basics, and then the A plus. So would I be right in saying what you're saying is that um, if people's mentality is I must be a star all the all of the time you're only ever going to set yourself up for failure apart from the one random time or one rare time that you do do the uh, the the a star um it's more realistic and it's not that you're not striving to be better or the best or all the rest of it um but what's realistic is that it's impossible to be an a star all of the time if you if you're in that b plus category it's really you know and, and you get good at being b plus the chances are you're going to be better than those people that are striving for a plus who actually end up being b minus or, or even c because of the stress and the, uh, the the pressures get to them um it's only going to create a stressful situation it, you know we all would like to be a plus all of the time but the reality yeah. of it is we can't it, it's not possible to sustain that Unless you're Michael Jordan, but even then, <laughs> you know, he had he had uh, you know B B plus moments. I mean, he's just a, a remarkable human human being. Yeah, no, I I can't agree with that anymore. Um, I think it's it's exactly sort of alludes to that. So you look at certain rugby teams. I mean, great rugby captains of your time, and, and I'm talking national captains. They were B plus players because the coach knew if they have B plus players all over their team, they can sprinkle a few players who can bring more A plus moments, but they need yeah. that consistency. And I think. Um, in anything we do in, in in the world, we need that consistency. Whether it's uh, training, eating habits, uh, team practicing, we need consistency in what we do. And and I guess we we need to have the ability to to obviously, as you say, strive to do all those things well and improve on those to make those B B plus moments perfect B plus moments. And yeah. I think that's that's a whole different discussion on making sure you're like one percent better on all those aspects. But I think in business, it's it's really important to do the basics really well because you drop on one thing and you, you don't know what your your buyers to be like and so yeah, yeah. fernando torres uh, for me was uh, uh, was someone that couldn't live with that 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 pressure so he he clearly had the ability to be an a plus and you know he had periods uh with, with liverpool etc where he did phenomenal things but when he wasn't on his a plus he was a c you know, he he his performance levels dropped because he didn't know how to be a B plus. He didn't Correct. know how to just contribute to the team. Uh, even when he was having an off day, his head would drop. Uh, he would just be miserable. Um, he felt the pressure from the crowd, uh, and he just couldn't perform at anything other than than A plus. But, but there we go. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not really a huge uh, football fan for obvious reasons, but I mean, you can relate to Steven Gerrard in a way, you know, he was just did the basics well. I know he did, he had his downfalls and his mistakes and he had a couple of brilliant yeah. moments as well, but I mean, he just bossed the midfield, midfield quite well. So, um, and the same applies. I mean, Chris Chris Robshaw, uh, England captain, Holocaust captain, same thing. You know, he just did the basics well, made his tackles, inspired his team, spoke well, uh, but then it gives the coach the ability to to put some players who can bring that X factor around him and make substitutions around those players. So it's quite important. Fantastic. Um, finishing off on on a personal note, Armand, um, what's life been like for you uh, over the last sort of uh, eight nine months? How, how have you been affected? What what's what changes have you had to make? How have you kept yourself motivated? Uh, being locked in because clearly you're an outdoors man, and it must have been driving you bonkers being being sat indoors. So, uh, what sort of things uh, have you done to occupy yourself physically, mentally? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, it's, we're all facing these challenges, and you see, it's sort of everyone going to health kick as soon as lockdown starts. Gym equipment was selling out, and you can't can't buy a lock cabin for for no matter how much money you've got. And everyone's everyone's trying to do stuff. So, yeah, I think I was pretty much the first the first spell of it was pretty much um, similar to most people, you know, um, focusing on doing what I can from a from a working environment and, and looking at strategy for for us and ensure we we're on the right path and. Um, also looking at sort of worst case scenario planning and uh, but then you step away and then you you think yeah. okay right I'm I'm at home you know so um, got to try try and go so a lot of family time a lot of walks with the family keeping the kids engaged and doing homeschooling uh, wife did a phenomenal job with with, with schooling the kids at home so um, the first first bit was a bit challenging it's becoming a bit more of a norm dare I say it a lot of people are sort of saying that now but um, mm. yeah so I think I guess for us you know uh, from a Keeping my own mind engaged, um, work has always been there in that respect. So my mind was engaged daytime and evening mm -hmm. times. So when, when I flickered to rugby, we, we started training end of June. We were allowed to train in bubbles. So we, we took the guys out two days a week, but we did some, some, some random stuff. We would run to a quarry and go for a swim and come back and just, just kept the guys ticking over. So mentally, it still kept me engaged. Um, mm -hmm. Started looking at a bit of more self-development, reading a bit more books, um, and just try and get myself going. And subsequently, everyone's looking at how many barbecues you can have in one week. Um, lunchtime barbecue, evening barbecue. Was quite, <laughs> it was quite funny, but um, the, the South African came out um, properly in lockdown. But yeah, I guess for me, I, the, the bigger picture was, I think, quality you sort of start reflecting on the quality that you have quality time you have with your family normally uh, and the amount of traveling you you're doing to and from places and, and when you have when you're rained back to be at home a bit more well, i mean you might know you recently moved to the countryside and mm. have, how, have you found that sort of that relocation um I, the the short story is uh we, we moved in may last year um out from central london uh south well, southwest london um, very busy area, uh, a place called Balham, and I, I just wasn't getting on with it there. It's, it wasn't an environment that that, that I thrive in. Uh, I'm more of a suburbia you know, from Nottingham originally, so I'm used to a bit more space. I don't want to say slower paced life, but um, a very different sort of um, circumstances. And um, <laughs> My wife found it a little bit difficult to start with because um, she really, really enjoyed the the London buzz. Um, but gradually, um, she started to experience all, all the wonderful things that, that come with living outside of that sort of central London area. Um, the fact that people would say hello to you and you're walking down the street, um, you know, you get welcomed with open arms into uh, various different environments, uh, the sports, sporting places where 
Uh, we've got um, places uh, just opposite here. We've got a cricket place um, where it, it's a family-run environment, and uh, we were welcomed within the first few days of, of moving here. And we've just really enjoyed the fact that we can walk out of our driveway and there's fields that we can go walking um, and take the dog, take take Mia. She's growing, she's growing up seeing trees and fields and animals. You know, there's a place literally just opposite us that has donkeys and sheep and goats and amazing. Um, yeah, so all through lockdown, you know, our, our walk, we would go over there and she would see see all the animals and and now you know it's really helped to uh connect her with uh with with life I, I guess and she knows what a donkey is she knows what a sheep is she knows the noises they make um it's not just reading from books you know yeah of course we have books and we have toys and things that make all these sounds um that you can say well, what noise does a donkey make and all that kind of stuff um and now she you know, she's been able to actually see that animal and yeah. connect with uh, and not just once daily um so that was uh, it, it's really heartwarming to to see her grow up in, in in this environment for sure yeah it's amazing to have that ability and i mean going for walks with our little ones um sort of every lunchtime just take an hour and just go for a nice nice walk and you just see them really enjoying it and then they find the little places they want to go and hide and you'll see her as she grows up and i'm sure you'll have your hands full in, 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 due, in due course <laughs> but uh uh, yeah, it, it's good fun spending time with the family, especially when you're when you're close to the outside world, and it's uh, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, finally, Armand, um, I've, I've shared uh, a TV show there for, with the viewers and listeners. Uh, what, what have you got for us? What um, what reading have, have you done? Uh, reading, yeah, I've actually, I, I promise you, I didn't plant this book. This book was here, but um, for those of you obviously listening on the podcast, so a book I've literally um, hang my hat on for many a year and bought this for many sales guys. A book called um, Legacy by James Kerr. Um, okay. It's a book about um, them following the All Black rugby team for a while. Even though I'm South African, I hate saying that, but. Um, they follow the All Black rugby team and just saw what makes them tick and what makes them successful. And they've got a lot of um, a lot of things that happens within the All Black, All Black camp that is so relatable into sport, but also into business. And uh, one of the key strap lines in there for us, we use a lot and uh, we, we always say there's no dickheads. So hopefully there's no kids listening, bleep it out, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's, it's quite a good attitude because if you've got a team, it can be poisonous if you have someone in there who's not sort of yeah. pulling in the same direction, shall we say. And um, and it also talks about sweeping the shed, so having people at the top doing all the dirty work as well, because as soon as they yeah. see you doing it, they, they get involved. So for me, that's been a book that's been around for a long time and I've bought it for many people. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely recommend that. Excellent. Um, and you've got, on the viewing you've got, side, yeah. On the viewing side, um, though, those of you that um, probably, uh, as you say, you spoke about Netflix and Prime, and other ones are available. But um, on, <laughs> on Prime, there is a, there's currently one called The Greatest Race, which is um, hosted okay. by Bear Grylls, and it's about 64 teams that's from all over the world trying to race across Fiji over 12 days, doing 600 kilometers, and it's just seeing these individuals pushing their body and, and what what the human body can actually achieve on like an hour's sleep and climbing up a mountain, hour's sleep swimming through a swamp. Um, it's just phenomenal, and the teamwork within that is just is great. So I definitely recommend that. It's quite a, quite an easy watch, but as you get to the end and people are, are sort of um, falling out of the out of the race as a result of injuries and the passion they show for for completing it and all the hard work they've put in and looking at background stories it's a great watch 
Fantastic. Um, the the book that you mentioned there, that that legacy, um, the sweeping the shed thing, it's it's something that I've uh, been an advocate of about every person within the organisation doing the job below them, at least that that one job below them to see what is what's going on. Um, it helps you understand what your people are going through. It opens your eyes up to challenges they're having and inefficiencies and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, so Virgin Atlantic do do that. Um, they're, they're a big fan of, uh, of doing that. And then the TV show, Undercover Bosses. And I don't know why it has to be undercover. I think because then they see the real, yeah. uh, the real side of things where you've got a business where the owner of the company is not known by the employees, they don't know what he looks like. He's been able to go undercover in his own business or her business or their business, um, and see what's going on at the, you know, uh, in the factory, in the stores, whatever it may be, and, and see what's going on. And invariably, they they sit, they come to the end of it, and they they're like almost hanging their head. They're like, I can't believe this is what's going on in in, in my company. So get involved at all levels within the company. Um, mm remember where these companies have started from. They they generally start from one person or a small handful of people and it grows. And and when but when it is small, everybody knows what's going on. Um, and it just gets to a certain point where people then go into offices and they shut the door and they're disconnected from what's going on. Uh, spend time throughout your entire organization regularly and make sure that you have uh this this policy of open door that they call it where people can come in at any point it doesn't necessarily need to be an open door but uh because it's not always feasible but certainly open communication dialogue uh, let people give you feedback regularly to let you know what's going on so you can keep your finger on the pulse of not only the health of the business from a financial client standpoint but on a human level your employees yeah. yeah, no, oh gosh, uh, that, yeah, that's a whole thing in itself, I suppose, as well. You know, you look at having an open door policy. If you have a, a coffee catch up or a meeting or one to one or appraisal, and you know, people always feel it's one way. It shouldn't be one yeah. way, it's two ways. And, and ask them the questions, get to know them and understand them, and get them to tell, tell you what are their frustrations. Inevitably, people, you want them to take ownership of the role. So if they tell you that there's something they want to fix or improve on, listen and try and go and do it. Because if you've been there, you've done that, you know what to go and fix. So um, yeah, I guess we, we we can talk about how 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 do we improve operational uh, operation side? Oh of, my goodness, of oh, we might need to do a second one on uh, on on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, no, definitely. Fantastic, oh, Armand, thank you so much. It's been a huge pleasure of mine. Um, uh, thank you for doing all the things you're doing within the local Dorking community. I know everybody there is hugely grateful for for everything you do for them. Um, thank you. Wishing you all the best success uh, with Grenka and and the team there. I know they are, I'm sure, thankful for for the way you you approach things. But um, I just want to say th thanks for joining us here today on Business Source. Um, everyone, please do reach out to Armand on on LinkedIn uh, and keep an eye on his uh, sporting goals and aspirations. Uh, he's, he's a very inspiring guy. Armand, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Lee. I appreciate that.